Well, hello, deal makers. Welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. I just want to give a shout out to Margie, Margie Tempo, who left us a review on uh, iTunes. Thank you for that. She said this podcast is great with a lot of insights to learn and wisdom to earn. Love that. Worth listening to. Thanks, Margie. Appreciate that. If you love the show, leave us a comment on iTunes and uh, we'll shout you out next time. I uh, also want to answer a question from uh, from YouTube. We had 11 Nika ask, hey, is it customary for an investor to ask for a P&L balance sheet, et cetera? And, and would a sponsor ever give out that information? So the, the answer is it's not customary for an investor to ask for information, but it's not unusual either. And to answer your second question is, yeah, give it to them. Like, why not? Uh, you want to be an open book. You want to communicate openly with your investors and that builds trust so that they continue investing with you and tell all their friends. So it's, I think it's a great, great idea. So before we get in the show, let's bring on our co-host, Garrett Lynch. What's going on? What's going on, Michael? Hey, it's great to see you again. You talked to me just about the other day because we're you know, in the process. We have a new deal under contract in Northern Atlanta. Really exciting deal. We were there together last week. But you made the comment like, hey, you know, we want to make sure we're, we're a good buyer, implying that there's such a thing as a bad buyer. <laughs> what is the difference between a good and a bad buyer, Garrett? <laughs> well, you know, I, it's, I hear this all the time, actually, from the brokers that they just want to work with easy people, easy people that transact well. And so I think the issue is that a lot of buyers in the market get caught up in the nickel and diming that can come along with the transaction. So you could get into a situation where you go under contract and then you find a broken pipe, okay, or something like that, or you find a few things that are, that are off. And instead of just saying, you know what? I'll deal with that when I buy it. They go and they try to get credits back or ask for money back from the seller. And for little things like that that pop up, it's really just not worth it from a reputational standpoint to even deal with some of that stuff. You should budget for a lot of it. Now, there are things that are bigger, like down units or things like that, that cost materially a lot, like have a higher ticket item. So like, let's say you got in there and they forgot to tell you that there were termites in uh, an entire building and you go in and it's a hundred thousand dollars to fix everything. Well, that's a big deal. That's a lot. That's a different conversation, but a lot of the little stuff, you'd be surprised how many buyers go in and then they try to what's called do what's called a retrade on the deal after they get into it. And for no particular time. reason. For no particular reason. They're like, oh, yeah, I want $150,000 less. Well, how do you justify this? This happened to us on one of the buildings that we sold uh, uh, last year. They're like, well, how do you justify a price reduction of $150,000? Oh, the, the windows are old. Yeah, but they were old when you started due diligence. Okay. You saw the old windows. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> nothing changed between last week and this week. Oh, yeah, I need $150,000. And the other thing also, I saw this on the house flipping side all the time. They would have a, an inspection and they would basically give us the home inspection report. Fix these things. There's like 101 things in there, of course, right? You're like, no, no. Uh, actually, you know what? I'm just going to terminate the contract because you're a pain in the, you know where. What, 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 what's another way? This is great. What's another way to be a good versus bad buyer? So it's just to set the expectations uh, along the way as to your timeline. Keep the communication open and honest. And so what I try to do, honestly, every time we get into a transaction is I try to go directly to the seller or their representative or whoever it is so that it opens up the communication. If you're trying to go through too many people, you can get lost in the communication, can get lost in the channel. And so the closer you can actually get to the seller and then keep the conversation and dialogue really open and honest, Like for, I'll just give you a quick example. Typically, I try to do our third-party 
like inspection right at the same time as the, when we get on site to do our unit walks and it just didn't time up that way. And I told them initially, I said, listen, this is how we try to do it every time. It doesn't always work out, but you know, we, we like to time it up so we don't, you know, we're not invasive into the property more than one time. And they said, that's great. Okay. And then, well, when it came down to it, I couldn't, the, you know, whatever's going on in the world, it's crazy. Things got delayed and the appraisal and the environmental are on different days now. So I just kept a direct line of communication with the seller. I said, listen, this is how it's going to come now. I apologize, but obviously it's the vendors are going to do what they want to do at this point. And so they were fine with that, but I kept that line open on the communication on the schedule of what we were doing. So I think that's a really important part of being a good buyer. Not everybody does that. A lot of people don't. Yeah, I, I I like that a lot. Communication is is so key, and uh, you know, obviously staying on track with what you said with the contract, but then communicating while you're doing it, not retrading. That's awful. That gives you a really bad reputation. And then you know, you said nickel and diming, but you can nickel dime with uh, the contract terms all the time. I mean, I've seen we've seen redline contracts where they're literally negotiating every little sick thing. And I'm like, dude. You, you want to get the transaction done. You, you do, and here's the thing. You don't want to be a pain in the butt buyer. That's the thing. Anything that's under the class, classification of pain in the butt buyer, don't do that. Because, man, everybody remembers these things, especially the brokers. And yeah. these tra- word gets around in the community. Oh, you know, they're a pain in the butt buyer. Or, hey, you know what? They've been really pleasant to deal with. So this, this deal, the only reason that we're in this deal right now is because I went in with the intention of being the best buyer, better than everyone else. We closed the last two deals in the same market in 45 days, basically with, with no issues at all. And that that's something that's pretty rare and unique. And so we're like being known as this go-to buyer for people that want to do 1031 exchanges. So people that want to get out of a deal quick, off-market, don't want to go through the whole process, we're out there floating. Hey, Nighthawks, your guy, you should go to them. And they'll go with us at a lower price point. We beat another group out actually by a million dollars when it came down to it because of who we are and our reputation. So it can have that kind of a lasting effect on the market. Yeah, absolutely. So by the way, if you're listening to this and you're interested in passively investing with us, we'd love to have a conversation with you. Go to nighthawkequity.com, click the join button. You can join our investor club, fill out a short form and then have a conversation with us. We love building relationships with investors and our investors invest with us uh, over and over again. And of course, they invite all their friends, which is what we want to do as well. Also a reminder, Dealmaker Live is in July 16 to 17. In fact, in person, it's going to be really cool. Let's go up to Hilton Anatole. We have Brandon Turner coming uh, coming live to us. We have Chad Williams, uh, former Navy SEAL, is going to share with us lessons on what he learned in the field that you can apply to your investing. It is going to be awesome. But we also have a live stream option for you. If you can't make it or don't feel comfortable in traveling or any of that, it's totally fine. Uh, you can find out more about that at themichaelblanc.com forward slash DML. So we're going to get our show here today with Steven Pesavento. What a great guy. He, he's raised tens of millions of dollars. I got into multifamily, and of course, it's like so many people start with single-family house investing, but he did it right. He flipped like 200 houses in three years. I only flipped three dozen, so he did it. He did it right. He's also got a cool podcast called the Investor Mindset Podcast, and in this episode, Steve's going to share with us his what he calls the five universal success principles. And these are lessons that he learned from studying over 100 entrepreneurs. And like I do, a lot from from podcasts, a lot of lessons learned from there. So let's do this. Let's get right into the show with Steven Pesavento. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast. 
where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Block. Steven, welcome to the show. What's going on, Michael? Excited to be here. So you're one of those house flipper people, huh? T- talk to me about that. I'm not. I mean, I was one of those house flipper people. I call it a recovering house flipper. You know, I flipped 200 houses, but, you know, about a year ago, I made that transition into multifamily. Probably had some of the same realizations that you did, kind of some of the same reasons you gave up house flipping back in the day. Isn't that right? Well, I don't know. I'd like to ask you about that. I mean, I, I only flipped three dozen houses. You flipped like 10 times more than that. Why did you flip that many? And then why did you stop flipping? Yeah, three dozen houses, still quite a few houses, but not too shabby. Yeah, we were uh, we were running a, a scaled house flipping business, and and the whole intention was low margin, high volume business out in both Raleigh, North Carolina, and Minneapolis, Minnesota. And it was a phenomenal business. It was great. We were making good money, but it's really easy to burnt out when you're doing that kind of volume and things don't scale. The entire intention of doing that many properties is to scale. And that's the reason why we started looking at multifamily is because you end up doing almost the same amount of effort to go buy one building as I might go buy, say, five or maybe 10 flips. And uh, it's much more effective. See, that's interesting you say that because I always thought that house flipping only scaled at a higher level, 200 being a fairly high level. I just, you know, doing a dozen a year for me didn't scale. But I figured that people like you, and I know I, I knew a people, few people like you, and I thought it did scale. You know, it's like where you're basically not doing anything because you have people for everything. Apparently, that's not even true at 200. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you definitely have people doing everything, but at the end of the day, unless you have alignment of interests with everybody on your team, the buck still stops with you. All the money that's being borrowed or lent or invested, all coming into your name. Personal guarantees are all in your name. All the risk and if something happens to change in the economy, it's all coming back on you. And so back in 2018, going to 2019, experienced what that was like. Interest rates went up for the first time in a very long time and the market froze. And we had about 10 or 15 houses on the market at that point. And it was scary. It was a scary feeling. My my business partner, because I've always been a big believer in partnering with experts because it ends up leading to the, the best results. My partner had been through 2008. You know, He had lost millions, tens of millions of dollars flipping and building houses. And so he was like, hey, this is exactly what happened back then. Uh, we need to keep a close eye on this. And uh, luckily, within a couple months, things turned right back on. But it was definitely one of those moments where it said, ah, we've got to have a better way to do this. We got to start looking at long-term debt. And you know, with that scaling piece, long-term debt, and some of the other benefits, that's what really attracted me to the apartment game. It's interesting that your partner kept on doing what he was doing because a lot of people got burned pretty badly in, in 2008. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going back there again. And he was like, yeah, I'll go back there again. What did he change? Like, did he change anything? He was like, ah, yeah, I don't, I don't care about the pain and suffering. I'll be happy to go through it again. Or did he approach it somehow differently this time around? Yeah, well, I think it's like this. It's like you've got a certain set of skills, if you will, and you know how to make really good money with that certain set of skills. And so he got burned and he got hurt, but he ended up getting out without losing everything because he was investing in two different markets in California. And uh, he saw what was happening over here before it ended up happening in LA and was able to end up getting out, selling everything, including all his apartment buildings to be able to break even. But he took many years off. And when he came back, he came back with the intention of, hey, let's build a business that can scale. 
And uh, after flipping quite a few houses, he went back to development. It's it's hard. It's hard to uh, it's once you get the real estate bug, it's hard to get out of the game. And so you might end up changing your strategy, but you definitely continue to operate. You know, it's funny though, is you never hear about people switching from multifamily back to single family, right? Like, it's like one of those things, it's kind of like a one, it seems at least to me in my experience, it's been like a one-way street, right? Like, and you discover it, you're like, oh, I've seen the light as to as to where this could go. And so, so 2018 happened and then you had to get, I guess, educated up into this game. What What did that look like? What did you make happen there? Yeah, well, I'm one of those people who moves very quickly and decides they're going to do something. But in this particular case, I saw the opportunity. I saw multifamily. It's so clear. There's so many upsides. I like the way that it's valued versus just based on what somebody might be willing to pay for the house down the street and the way that uh, all of the different pieces of scalability come into place. But for me, I had a pretty substantial business. I was spending, you know, in some months up to $100,000 a month, in other months about $60,000 a month in operating costs and marketing costs. We're going direct to seller to buy houses directly from homeowners. And so I saw an opportunity, hey, how can we leverage both our capital and our ability to go find deals in this multifamily space? But I was all hands on deck, the single family business. So it took some time to strategically transition out of, of the single family game. And for me at first, you know, we saw the opportunity, but it's easy to get shiny object syndrome. It's easy to look and see, hey, well, this is actually the direction I want to go, but I get caught up on something over here. I get caught up cycling out. And so it took a good 12 to 18 months for us to really cycle out of all of our properties and our portfolio to really, I call it drain the swamp, all the leads that we had in our system, all of the marketing leads that were going to continue coming in even months after we stopped marketing to them, because that's just the way things work. It takes months to get this machine up and running. And we probably still could be working those leads even you know, two, three years later today, just based on how people make decisions to sell those houses. But for me, I started looking around. Who is in this business that is already succeeding? Who is already doing and, and running the type of business I want to run? And what particular entry point do I want to make when I'm going to go into the commercial space? So I looked at multifamily. I looked at storage. I looked at industrial. I looked at some of the people like, like you, Michael, like you, Garrett. We met at some different events and you know started going out and building these relationships and understanding, well, who is succeeding in the way that I want to succeed and how can I get a, an opportunity to learn from them, to work with them, to partner with them, to be able to build the kind of business that I've built in single family, but go and do that in the multifamily space. And the truth is, when it comes to the apartment game, it takes longer to get that first hit of success or that first feeling of, yes, we're doing this, we're going in the right direction because it's so much bigger. But the best part about this business is that once you do have that momentum and you do have that track record, you have the right people on your team, things do start scaling at a much better pace. Yeah, that's true. I mean, so you were very deliberate about this in the sense that you actually studied commercial real estate, it sounds like, in different asset classes. You're like, hmm, let's see, what should I do? Self-storage, mm -hmm. you know? Why did you decide on multifamily after having studied uh, you know, the asset class as a whole a little bit more? 
Yeah, well, I just saw there's so many similarities between a residential home and a multifamily property. Not, not. I'm not saying that the investment game is the same and the skill sets over here from flipping do not necessarily transition the same. There's a lot of things that are similar, but there's a ton that is different. And if anybody's looking to make that transition, I highly encourage you to go find a great mentor and be able to follow in their footsteps because you need to learn this business differently. But the reason that I went this path was because of those similarities. And because at the core, I've always been a big believer that real estate that is a a core need, in other words, a place where you're going to live, ends up being something that's much easier for me from a values perspective to focus on. And frankly, the other ones just aren't as interesting or fun. Um, But that doesn't mean there's not a lot of money to be made. And that doesn't mean that I won't go down that path at some point. But it seemed like multifamily has the fastest opportunity again to be able to get into the business. And a lot of those skills really were crossover. And the second piece was I went to my investors. I went to the people who already had faith in me, who already had seen what we were able to do with Von Finch in the single family space. And I said, hey, we're looking at investing in multifamily. A lot of them had kind of directed us, hey, we want longer term investments. You know, we love the returns that we're making, but we'd really like to invest for the next three or five years instead of just the next six or 12 months. And so through some of those conversations and, you know, talking with the folks that we were really going to be building our business around kind of our ideal client, multifamily was the the fastest path to success. And the deeper that I've got into it, the more that I've come to really realize that it really is one of the best places to invest. It's had, you know, over any period in the last, you know, 60, 70 years that you look at that they've been tracking this, it's been the strongest, most stable real estate investment asset class. And that's huge. And in my business today, our, our company is built around going out and finding great deals and funding deals, right? Putting together the capital to be able to go and close these kind of opportunities. And so that's really important, right? When you can have those kind of stats and when people are really able to understand everyday people, retail investors, everyday folks who are making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, have the ability to invest and continue to repeat invest. When you can really outline the business model and the concept to somebody very quickly, uh, that makes it a much easier sale or a much easier offer to invite people to invest. That's another big reason. Now, you talk a lot about mindset. In fact, you're you're a host of the Investor Podcast, the Investor Mindset Podcast. Why in the world do you think mindset is so important uh, for investing success? Yeah. Well, I think it's it's one of the most important things. You have to have the strategies and the tactics to be able to succeed. But as that foundational place, the foundation that you're going to build everything off of, it really all starts with mindset. And I realized that as I was in the corporate world and I was starting to cycle my way out and I started looking around, well, what are some of those common characteristics that all of the most successful people have? And mindset to me is the thoughts and beliefs that end up leading to the actions that you take and therefore the outcomes that you experience in your life or your business, right? And so when you can study how successful people think, what they do, what strategies they implement and how they think about those strategies, when you apply that to your own set of thoughts and beliefs, uh, you're going to end up starting to take those same actions and therefore start having some of those same results. And I've seen it to be true for myself, but after interviewing hundreds of people on the Investor Mindset podcast and diving in with very successful people, even people like you, Michael, and you know, great people like Chris Voss, author of Never Split the Difference, and many other investors, Joe Fairless, tons of other great people, they all seem to have that common concept that at the core, they believe that it's possible they can succeed. And one of the biggest things that's 
seems to trip people up when they either want to passively invest or when they want to actively invest and start making this their career is do they believe that it's possible and do they believe that it can work out for them specifically? And so when they can make that shift, it allows all of the great strategies that a mentor or coach is going to teach them to really be able to build on top of that. So without having those right set of thoughts and beliefs, ends up holding people back to be capable uh, or to actually start seeing what they're really capable of. So Stephen, you studied, it's like a hundred plus entrepreneurs and investors. Is that right? And you were able to pull out some key lessons from studying those people. Can you share with us uh, what those lessons are and, and kind of how you arrived at those? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I call them the five success principles learned from, you know, studying some of the most successful investors and thought leaders. And one of the first most important of these five success principles is that they view challenges as opportunities. They view the difficulties that they're experiencing, the problem that they're seeing out in the world. They actually see that as the opportunity. And I even know, you know, I hear this from you, Michael. I hear it from you, Garrett, as well. When you guys talk about what you're doing when you're going and buying an apartment building, that's a challenge that those current owners or somebody else might look at and say, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with doing this renovation. I don't want to deal with this problem tenant, or I don't want to deal with whatever that challenge that that person's dealing with. But when we can come in and see that as actually an opportunity, an opportunity, that's actually where we gain our profit because we're solving a problem. So by by changing that uh, that challenge into something that's actually positive, it ends up putting uh, those successful people into a place where they're able to really deliver a lot of value and therefore overcome any of the uh, the difficulties that they might experience. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people give up, right? They give up easily, and I think looking at challenges, opportunities is a, is a positive spin. That only is not only is it a positive, but it keeps you going. Because everybody wants to pursue opportunities, but we want to run away from challenges. So I like that. You know, I I got to a point where I was going through a series of challenges and I started asking the question, what is the lesson for me here? I felt like every time I went through a challenge, I was learning. And you don't really learn a lot from successes. They're great. They feel great. But like, what did you really learn? Well, I don't know. Uh, Not exactly sure. But when you fail or there's there's challenges, you learn a lot more and really moves you forward. So I love that. What's another lesson that you picked up on? Yeah. Well, the one of the other big key lessons is that these folks are ultra focused. When you look at anybody who is really succeeding in business, now you you might think to yourself, "Hey Steven, uh, you know, I see a lot of successful people, they run multiple business and they're very successful at doing so." Yeah, well, they're successful at doing multiple things once they've had extreme success doing one thing really really well. You know, Michael, perfect example. You're somebody who's been keenly focused on apartment building investing. That's been your focus. Everything you do is connected and around that space. And that's your hub. And so if you want to be successful and you want to be able to think and operate like some of these most successful investors and entrepreneurs, you got to be ultra focused doing one thing and doing it really, really well. That doesn't mean you won't have other hubs or spokes that are going to come off of that that wheel of, of the things that you're focused on. But if you can avoid one of the biggest traps that I see people, especially new and up, up and coming real estate investors fall into is they're at a real estate investor event and you ask them, what do they do? 
or what are they thinking about or what's important to them? And they're like, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to flip a house and then I'm going to do lease option. And then, you know, I'd like to be able to get into multifamily or, you know, I'm thinking wholesale. about maybe doing storage. Yeah. I'm going to do some wholesaling. I hear to- that's hot. Yeah. These things end up being just huge distractions. And uh, that's the opposite of what you want. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you see, there's so many avenues in real estate that you can go, you know, it's like, you kind of have to figure out your, your niche. And like in the, in the beginning, I definitely, you know, I, my mom was a real estate agent and, and there was the, you know, the commercial real estate set. I did try a, a few different things in the beginning before I finally landed here, which is, which is fine when you're getting going, but eventually you got to land into the one thing that that's really, you're going to, you know, pile drive forward. And I, the way I kind of describe it is uh, you can't have the sides without the stake, right? So, so you have to have the stake and then eventually, you know, you'll have other things that branch off from that, that, you know, once you, once you really develop that. And so, you know, for, for me, it was just, you know, there was a period of time where I had the shiny object syndrome and I was going after this opportunity, this one, this one, and this was even later on in my career. And I eventually came back to that core thing, which was multifamily and, you know, that made all the difference and it, and it just, it's, it's so true. And I agree with that completely. Steven, what's, uh, what's next on your list? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's so many great principles we're going to walk through. And if you guys want a copy of this, uh, we've actually put this all together into a little take-home thing that you guys can grab. You can grab that right at theinvestormindset.com slash principles. I'm sure Michael will include that in the show notes. But the big thing that everyone knows about, but a lot of people are not doing it really well, is getting super clear on what you want. And so the third most important success principle is getting extremely clear on what you want and be able to build a set of goals and a plan for you to actually be able to achieve that, right? So that clarity is so critical. And it's really just asking yourself the question, what do I want, right? And so when we can get clear on what we want, we can start answering some other important questions like who can help get us there and why do we want it? And that can really end up giving us that clarity for us to be able to move forward at really fast speeds and to be able to attract people into our world that are going to help us succeed, right? Because if you're not clear on what you're doing or what makes this important to you, all of those things will end up really holding you back from being able to succeed. And you know, a perfect example, if you're a passive investor and you're thinking, hey, I would love to invest in one of Michael's deals, or I'd love to invest in one of Steven's deals, but you're unclear about what you're actually looking for uh, or why that's important, you're going to have a really difficult time making a decision or making a decision that's the right choice for you. And so it, everything starts here right? Of getting clear on what you want. So that way, when that comes right in front of you, you notice it, you see it, and you're actually uh, out there looking for these things. Yeah. It's funny. Maybe you had a similar experience. When I, when I, I was not clear about what I wanted, when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I started flipping houses, my thought, my clarity was being a real estate investor. Like uh-huh. That's what I wanted to be. And I associated financial freedom with being a real estate investor. That's like That's what I read. Now, maybe you got that same conclusion. Maybe you didn't think it through either, but I certainly did. And I got very successful at, at flipping houses. And I'm like, at one point I, I woke up, I'm like, there is nothing passive about flipping houses, mm-hmm. right? I'm, if I'm not buying, fixing, or selling house, I'm not making money. And then worse, once I sell the house, the money stops flowing. So then I was like, well, shoot, I, I mean, maybe I'll build a rental portfolio. Maybe the thought had crossed your mm-hmm. mind. I was like, I need like at least 50 houses. I'm like, that is insane. 
It's like, talk about a lack of clarity. You spend years doing something. And a lot of people do this. They climb the ladder of success at work and they go five or 10 years. They finally, the vice president of their division, you know, they get to the top of the ladder and they look around and they notice that the ladder is up against the wrong wall. You know, my ladder was up against the wrong wall. I, I had, I actually achieved some degree of success in the house flipping bases, not much as you did. But then I was like, well, shoot, I was striving towards the wrong thing because I wasn't clear about what I wanted. It's not real estate. Real estate is broad, like this broad. It's like anything under the sun is real estate. No, no. What specifically do you want? And what don't you want? What is If I do this, what does that mean to my lifestyle? And I did not think about that. Therefore, I lost a good number of years. I don't know what your yeah, observations I, are around I, that. I mean, I had the exact same experience. I remember I was sitting at an event because I'm a big believer in growth. I'm always looking to learn from other people. And we were going through this process. And I remember thinking back on this idea of the ideal client. Who is the client that I want to serve for the rest of my life? And who is the client that I want to serve for the next 5, 10, 20 years? And I was looking at my business and I realized this is the business that I've built is not the business I want to run for the next 20 years. I answer that question of, you know, what do I want? I want to make some money and I want to do it in real estate. I want to do it right now. But I remember actually reading the ABCs of real estate investing from Ken McElroy. And I had the same exact limiting belief feeling that I had when it first came to flipping houses. And I thought, mm, I could flip houses, but I couldn't do that. That's not for somebody like me. And you know, it took many years, obviously, of flipping houses and then finding and connecting with other people to have the realization that, oh, wait, this is something that I can do. It's something tons of people can do if they just find the right mentors and learn with the right people. And, you know, I've been able to go and do that in the last few months. We've closed multiple deals, you know, hundreds of units, millions of dollars of capital raised and been able to do that in a very successful manner. And I look back at that thought that I had early on and I could have jumped directly to go. I didn't have to go flip 200 houses and have this realization of building a business that wasn't really serving my end goal. But for me, I wasn't clear. And so I ended up going down a path and had to recut my way back through the forest to get back on, on the direction towards where I actually really wanted to be. Steven, that's, that's fantastic. What's the next thing that you got for us here? Because I know there's another good one coming up. Yeah, yeah. So we've got two more. This one's a simple one. It's a really important one. And you guys have all heard it, but it's one of those that we still end up not doing enough or staying consistently focused in on. And it's knowing your purpose. It's answering that question of why do I want what I want? Why is that important to me? And what this actually ends up doing for you, it sounds great to know your why. And it sounds really you know, sexy to tell everyone about why you're doing everything. But really just for yourself to know inside, what it ends up doing is it ends up creating fuel. Because when you're really aligned on what you're going after and why that's important, you end up creating fuel that really drives you through all the challenges. Because frankly, back towards number one, seeing challenges as opportunities, it doesn't feel good when you're losing money on a deal, or it doesn't feel good when you're dealing with evictions, or it doesn't feel good when something doesn't go well. But when you know your purpose, when you know your why, it's easy for you to redirect yourself back on track to blow through those barriers. Because you know anybody who's listening who is thinking that they want to make this their career and they're starting to go down that path of, hey, I want to be a multifamily operator. Well, you're going to deal with some really tough challenges along the way. You're going to end up having to break through a ton of barriers. And if you're not really clear on why this is so critically important to you, you're going to fail. 
because you're going to give up. You're not going to be able to stick in the pocket long enough to be able to get, you know, a good base hit, if not a home run. Right. And so it's super important that people continuously check in on this. And what I noticed after interviewing hundreds of these entrepreneurs and investors was that they're all super clear and they're constantly checking in on it. But most of them, it's not even conscious. It's subconscious. They're continuously rechecking in on what they want and why they want it. And they're doing it all the time, but it's not something they even realize they're doing. But when you hear them speak and what they talk about, you can really hear below the surface that that's happening. Yeah. So recently we, we wanted to get more clarity around our why, you know, there's always, there's always an inherent why behind the scenes that we wanted to put some words around it, what it is. And so we went into a deep dive with uh, actually a good friend of mine. Uh, his name is Lee, works with Simon Sinek. Maybe you guys are familiar with uh, Simon Sinek, but he has a book called uh, Start With Why. And so ours is actually to generate freedom so that we can create a difference together. And so it's pretty cool when you find that. And that that's more of the driving force because eventually you get enough money. If you're working hard and you're an entrepreneur, you know, not everybody, but you get to a point where money doesn't matter as much. So you need something else. You'll have money, but you need to have that why behind it to keep going and have a purpose. So I love that. Steven, what, what's your last lesson? Yeah. Well, I think just to kind of touch on what you just said there, it's so important because when you know what that purpose is, it is, it makes everything else come together. You build everything around it. And so it's, it's amazing that you guys are getting clear on that. The last thing is the most important thing of all. And it is all built upon everything that we've talked about. And it's that first place that most people should start, but it ends up being one of the last things that people end up doing before they really start accelerating. And that's they these very successful entrepreneurs and investors, they all work with great mentors and coaches. They're all going out and building relationships with people that are in their community. And they're asking themselves this question, who is already doing what I want to do and how can I find a way to get in connection or in community with those people? They're joining masterminds. They're a part of local community organizations. They are paying for and hiring great mentors and coaches. And it's important to understand the difference, right? A coach is different than a mentor. And oftentimes people will kind of put this together. A mentor is somebody who's been down that path. They already have done what you want to do. And they are going to essentially light the path for you. They're going to show you the way and they're going to help you avoid some of those potholes, some of those challenges that you would deal with going down that path, following in their footsteps. Phenomenal to have a mentor. A coach is different. A coach is somebody who may or may not have been down that path before, but they are somebody who is in a position to be able to look at you as a third party and help ask questions and help give you direction so that you can operate and succeed at the highest level. They're different they are clearly for different purposes, right? And so very successful people, they're working with and have great mentors and coaches in their life. And it's because they know that there's somebody else who's already figured it out and they don't need to go try to figure it out themselves. Yeah, I mean, th this is a great lesson, uh, one that I did not heed when I got into restaurants, which is why I lost my shirt. Because now I, I've, I met a mentor, but that was only when the crap has, had already hit the flan and was kind of oozing down onto the ground. That's when I <laughs> met my mentor. But had I had that mentor, that mentor would have asked me various questions based on his own experience and it would have prevented massive and utter loss. 
And, uh, and so, and, and I, for the house flipping, I did have a mentor, by the way, because back, back in the day, they did exist. There weren't really any multifamily vendors or any self-storage mentors that I recall. So I did not have a mentor. I took a, a class for a multifamily. There was no mentor there. That would have saved me quite a bit of heartache in the first deal I've done. And it's so true. If you have the ability to invest in a mentor, it is the best investment you can, you can make because it just shortcuts everything. It sure shortcuts everything, everything that you do. And so that is a really, really valuable lesson. So we talked about viewing challenges, opportunities, stay focused, create clear goals and a plan, know your purpose, and then utilize mentors and coaches. Um, do you have some tips on how people can apply this? It's a little bit mindset is the problem I have with mindset is that it's a, it can be a little bit abstract sometimes. Do you have a kind of the actual tips about how people can somehow apply some of these tips to their real world investing? Yeah, absolutely. So knowing that something exists is half the battle when it comes to your mind, right? Because there's so many thoughts and beliefs that are happening below the surface. So one of the first things that you need to do is just recognize that, hey, these you have a set of thoughts and beliefs that are really the blueprint that your mind is running on. It's the code essentially telling your, your mind about how to react and how to look at different situations. So knowing that is actually the first step, right? Reinforcing that is the second step because then you start to actually see when are these different beliefs coming up in your life. So first, I, I highly recommend you sit down with a pen and paper and get really, really clear on what you want out of your life, right? I encourage you to go grab a copy of, of this, uh, resource that we've put together, the five success principles. And again, you guys can grab that at the investormindset.com slash principles. But within that, we kind of walk through, you know, uh, some examples, some details. And what I would do is I'd look at those examples and I'd ask myself, well, how can I use this in my life? How can this be applied in a way that's going to help me be able to create more clarity for myself. Now, the fastest path is definitely getting a coach and somebody who can work through and ask you these questions that are specific to your situation. But if you're somebody who is like, I don't have the money, I've got way more time than I do have money, and I'm just frankly not interested in investing in, in a coach or a mentor, then you're somebody who it's going to take a little bit longer. But I encourage you to obviously go listen to the Investor Mindset podcast. We talk about this stuff and multifamily and investing all the time. So I encourage you to definitely listen to the show. But when it comes to mindset, it's recognizing that it's a consistent process of putting in different examples of ways of thinking into your brain until that ends up really kind of filling up and kind of pushing out some of those other, you know, sets of thoughts and beliefs. It's a, it's a constant never-ending process. It's not something that just okay, well, now I've got mindset, now I'm all set. I'm good to go. It's a consistent kind of going in and optimizing, continue to add these these strategies to the table because even someone like you Michael who happens to be a multifamily mentor, you're teaching and training people about how to succeed at the highest level of multifamily. What's probably happening quite often is that people are needing to be reminded that this is possible for them to do that. And part of the reason people pay for a mentor is just to be able to say, "Hey, you know, I I'm really scared about this thing. Well, that's a moment that you can recognize that it's a mindset issue that's end up coming up for that person. They have the strategies, they know what to do, they're just not doing it. And so whenever you as a listener having that feeling, just ask yourself, well, is it possible for me to do this? And 
And if the answer is yes, then I would go seek somebody. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe you have a coach or a mentor and talk through some of these things so that you can start uh, pushing yourself in that direction. Happy to share some more tips or strategies, but we could spend a whole nother podcast on how to apply it. Steven, obviously it's been as a true entrepreneur, it's not all bunnies and rainbows, right? So there's, there's always challenges that, that arise that interfere with your mindset. Can you share with us something that really a time when your mindset really got tested and puts you in a place and you were scared? Yeah. Well, I I can think of a time where I've, you know, I've lost money on a deal. I can think of a time, actually one of my first multifamily deals, perfect example deal. I, we put under contract back in March of 2020. What a great time to get into your first multifamily deal, right? COVID, the world's melting down. We're already dealing with enough challenges as it is. But even despite that, we happen to have a great deal in a great market, 220 unit property, and we're excited about it. We get under contract. We put money down hard. We're ready to rock. We go through the full due diligence process. We spend time out with the property. We end up going through the full fundraising process, raise the entire chunk of money. I succeed at doing something that I have done many times, raising millions of dollars before, but now it's on a large commercial multifamily deal. And we're excited. And there's, you know, what's attached to that? Well, there's income attached. There's a security attached. There's ego attached to actually going through the process of doing this and succeeding. There's that feeling of transitioning from something where I was the top dog flipping 75 houses a year in my community to I'm kind of a nobody. I'm a guy who is now starting in a a new field. And yes, I can carry some of that with me, but it was navigating through all of those feelings and then getting to a place right before we're supposed to close and finding out that one of the limited partner investors from the current owner has decision-making authority and is a very litigious, litigious person. Oh boy. Currently has. There we go. Currently has. This is what I'm trying to get to you, Steven. I I don't care about the bounties and rainbow stuff. I want to, I want to know the dirt. (laughs) <laughs> well, and cur- currently has eight different lawsuits pending right now. And they're oh, ultra wealthy. They love suing people. Yikes. And they decide that COVID's not as bad as we thought it was. And, you know, it's August, September, and we want $800,000 more for the property. And that's a big difference, right? We've already had investors commit to invest. We've already gone through this whole process. What are we going to do? Well, we start to try to work with them. We start to try to figure out, hey, how can we solve this? It's not our problem. It's definitely the the owner's problem. But you know, there's threatening of being pulled into a lawsuit, dealing with all of this. And we're we're over, you know, we're 18 months later right now, and that property is still technically under contract, and they still technically have our money, right? And we're still dealing with that problem. And the property's increased in value dramatically, and so walking away seems like a pretty silly idea. But going through a lawsuit with somebody who's got more money than you could imagine and would literally drain you dry just for the fact of of doing it because they can, we're still in a position where luckily we're not in a lawsuit. Thank you, Mister Whoever you are. If you happen to be listening, I hope you're not. But the the truth is, it's a very difficult time because so much was attached to that project. But what do we do? At the end of the day, we continue to move forward. We continue to go find new deals. We continue to bring opportunities to our investors. We 
are transparent about what challenges we're dealing with and the hope that it will come back. But, you know, if it does come back, we'll be starting from square one on that project. But uh, it's just an example of where, you know, things don't go as planned and you got to move through it. And I'm glad we went through that process because the next two or three raises ended up going dramatically uh, better because now we have already had that those conversations and done some of that work. And I, I hope that everybody gets into a deal like that at some point, not because I want them to get hurt, but because the lesson that you learn, not and maybe not a litigation or whatever, but a tough deal, just a deal that's yeah. a challenge to go through because then that's when you really earn your stripes. And, uh, you know, at, at a certain point, and then the next deal, you're like, I'm going to avoid all of these things that I learned from that one. And so thank you for sharing that. Yeah. It's, and it's not just a lesson learned, it's the resilience that you build yes. up. And I think you really develop your mindset muscle when you go through, and especially when you, when you view challenges as opportunities, you know, it's easier said than done until you're actually in a challenge and you're kind of in a storm and you're like, wow, you know, you, you weather that and you maybe weather another one and you start getting very resilient and, you know, I certainly was not resilient early on in my entrepreneur career. I was the exact opposite. I was weak, weak boy. I couldn't take anything, you know, because I always controlled my environment until you go out on your own, you don't. And I, frankly, that's what I love it. I love the adventure that life brings as an entrepreneur, that safety net is gone. And so the adventure has been pretty cool. And then, you know, if you like, if you view that adventure as an opportunity, then you have a, the rewards are awesome. Steve, it's been great. Steve, how can uh, people find out more about you? Yeah, you guys can head over to investormindset.com. You can find the podcast there. You can find it on any uh, platform from YouTube to podcasting apps. And if uh, you're interested in getting in touch, you can also find information at investormindset.com for getting in touch. Or I encourage you to go to your favorite social media app and DM me directly and let me know that uh, you came from uh, the Michael Blanc apartment building investing podcast here. Uh, love to be able to serve you myself or someone from my team will put you in touch with the right people. And uh, it was great. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, y'all. So check out his podcast, Investor Mindset Podcast. Steve, and great. Thanks for being here on the show. Yeah, super great being here. And thank you, guys. Michael, I really liked the fact that he was able to, to simplify this topic that comes up a lot. But there's, he said one of his key points was focused. And by focused, he meant not getting the shiny object syndrome. And I think this is something that everybody at some point in their life struggles with. You got a million things or opportunities that are coming into your peripheral and you got to pick one and you got to go down the path. And so I think, I think just highlighting that, that that's, that's something that, you know, you want to stick to one thing, move down that path. And, and that's where all the fruit is going an inch deep and a mile wide doesn't serve anyone. You want to go a mile deep and an inch wide. Yeah, that doesn't mean that you can't research a variety of investment vehicles like he did. Now, let's look at mobile home parts. Let's look at self-store. Look at multifamily. Look at this. Look at that. And study it for a period of time. It's okay to study things. But once you actually execute on something and you see it has a high degree of potential for, for working and, 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 and it works. And a lot of times we do things once. You're like, this is great. So people, including I, oh, I flipped a house. That's great. Let's do a lease option. Oh, that's great. Let's landlord. No, don't do that, right? So if, if you see something working, go deep in that. And I think that's a really, really powerful tip. The other thing that I found interesting was he differentiated between, well, first of all, I said that mentoring or coaches are super important, which I agree. But he made a distinction between the two. I found that really interesting. Yeah. You know, I don't think people look at it that way typically, which is which I also found really interesting, but it's true. 
you know, I've had coaches before that know nothing about my industry or, or anything like that, but they're just set up as a coach and they're smart people typically, and you'll potentially pay for their service. But, uh, you know, they give you more advice on life, stuff that's going on in your life. You know, it could even be like on a, a therapist type level. And yeah, like, like a I psychologist, think, like motivation, yeah, yeah. accountability. No, this Pretty is much. important. This is important because a lot of people, you know, have trouble with following through on something or they're caught up with some kind of mindset. mindset. So I think, yeah. I think accountability and motivation are, are, are very important. I think it's, it's definitely an important side to, to pay attention to if your mindset is not quite there yet or you want to work at it for sure. And then there's the other side, which is the mentor side, which I think if I had to choose one of the two, I'd prefer the mentor side because then you get an actual real look into somebody that's done it and can help take you down a path that you want to go down just by their advice and, and help you avoid the pitfalls that, that come in with that. And so, you know, I've had great mentors and I, I honestly attribute probably most of my success in business and in life to the mentors that exist. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's really several different kinds of coaches and mentors. If I were to boil it down, one is kind of the cheerleader, or we talked about the motivator, right? That keeps you going, moves you forward. I think that's a, a sign of a great coach. Uh, the other one is, you know, what I kind of call a professor a little bit. These are great teachers, fantastic teachers. And then there's a third category that I call get stuff done, like the implementers. And they are going to look for ways to work smarter and they're going to incorporate elements of the motivation and the teaching, but really they're focused on results. And in and, and that way, actually, we're, we're maybe a little different than some of the other mentoring programs out there because some people are like, well, what are your 15, you know, modules, the teaching models? And we have that, you know, how do you keep us on track? And we have that through the deal funnel, but really what we focus on is results. So a lot of times people say, well, what do I get? What's in the box? Let me look in this box. What's in there? I want to, there's 16 items in there. Oh, that's great. Well, the other guy's got 21 items in there. And I, I'm going to go with the other guy. And that's, that's great. But at the end of the day, a mentor, and ours are all full-time syndicators. Uh, it's also a little different than some of our other programs. We really focus on results. We want you to do your first deal. And we use all the tools we have in a toolbox and online course is part of it and motivation is part of it. But we really want to get you in your first deal. So by the way, if you're listening to this and you're interested in mentorship and you value mentorship, like Garrett just mentioned, and uh, like Steven, check us out. We're at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. And you can set up, uh, you can learn a little bit about the program and set up a call with us and see if it's right for you. So we'd love to have a conversation with you. Anyway, I hope you guys were inspired by Stephen's interview today and uh, keep things moving forward. Get your mindset straight. Catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.